Hey everyone, welcome back to the Monclova Baptist Church podcast. We're thankful that you joined us today. Hey, if you would do us a favor at the end of this episode, make sure that you follow us on our social, Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell button so that you get notified every time that we post new content. If you also want to stay connected with us beyond Sunday morning, make sure that you download the MRBC app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Now let's dive in. Well, good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. If you would take your Bible, turn to the book of Revelation chapter 15. And also asking that you would keep Mike Tony in your prayers. He had his gallbladder taken out and uh, he needs some prayer. So please remember Mike Tony uh, this morning. Revelation chapter 15, what a book. Wow. And uh, I'm excited to continue in this series. And as you're turning there, as you know, um, in the book of Revelation, there are many topics and fascinating things to talk about. And uh, our theme has been the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the plan that God has for the future with the nations, particularly the nation of Israel. And uh, we get a little glimpse on what God's feeling when we go through the book of Revelation. Right now, we are living in a wonderful time, a dispensation of grace, and uh, we are very, very blessed. And, uh, and we are blessed to be on God's side. And we're, we're going to see that as we go through chapter 15 here. But as we do, we're going to continue with the theme of the Lord and His character and nature and His attributes. But as we do that, if, if I could, I'd like to bring to your attention this morning a missing ingredient in Christianity today. And um, we'll, we'll read our text and then we'll get into the message. Revelation chapter 15. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast, we know that to be the Antichrist, and over his image and over his mark and over his number of his name, they, were, they stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works. Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials. Now, a vial is a, is a container with a wide base and a skinny top there, and and uh, these were full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And certainly we, we lift up Mike Tony to You and pray that You'd bring healing and comfort to him. But Lord, as we go through your word this morning, we, we confess that we are sinners 
and uh, in desperate need of your grace. And those of us that have trusted you as Savior, we know we've received that grace, and it is, it is absolutely amazing. It is life-changing. It is a must to every sinner that they trust you and be born again and receive that forgiveness and grace. We are so grateful this morning to be a child of God. I pray, God, as we go through your word, we would not only see your grace, but we would see another side to you that is absolutely holy. And I pray, God, if there are anyone here this morning uh, in need of salvation, you would speak to their hearts and they would trust you as Savior. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to draw your attention to verse 4. And in verse 4, it says, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord? Isn't that a great question to ask today? Unfortunately, we, we do know the answer to that question. And the answer is, unfortunately, most people in the world do not fear the Lord. And I believe, from what I've observed in my Christian life, not only personally, but in the lives of others, is that the missing ingredient is the fear of God. It's the fear of God. And, and we can get so caught up in one aspect of the Lord, such as His grace and His mercy and His love, and we should get caught up in that, but we must not forget that God is a balanced God. And He is, he is, he is more than love. He's actually a, a God of vengeance and wrath. Like I said, I've, I've seen this missing in my own life, and... And I've seen it as a whole in Christianity. And, and what's, what's so important and I think valuable about going through the Bible verse by verse, especially in uh, like uh, the book of Revelation, is we see, we see a well-balanced, <laughs> rounded God. We're not lopsided in our theology. You see, if you only focus on one aspect of God, you're going to have an imbalanced God. And I'm telling you, your theology will affect the way you live your life. And so we are told in the scriptures to, to fear the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Boy, there's a lot of foolishness in the world today, isn't there? I present to you that the reason why is because there's no fear of God in their eyes. Fearing God actually means to have, uh, yes, a reverence for God, but so much so that it actually impacts your life. It's not just giving lip service that, oh, yes, God is holy and God is great, and then you go live your life any way you want. That, that's not really the fear of God. It's not just lip service. The fear of God is respecting Him, obeying Him, submitting to Him, worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, and, yes, repentance towards God. Proverbs 8 puts it this way, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth. God says, I, I hate those things. Peter said, honor all men, love the brotherhood, and fear God. So how do we get to the place where we, where we fear God? Well, I'll tell you what, how we get to that place. We get back to the, the Word of God. We preach the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We study the Word of God. 
We, we meditate on the Word of God, and, and we believe the Word of God, and I believe as, as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, the fear of God will come by getting into the Word of God. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Oh, I lost my water, and I'm on a medication that makes my mouth very dry. Oh boy, who's going to bring me my water? And it's passed from my wife to my son to my daughter-in-law, and yes, to Pastor Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Would you like to say a few words this morning? No, okay. I believe that there are four aspects of the Lord that we're going to see in this chapter that will help us and cause us to have the fear of God. The first one I'd like you to notice is, is in verse 3 and verse 1. And that is his works, which are great and marvelous. Notice in verse 3, And they sing the, the, the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works. Notice in verse 1, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Now here's what's interesting about this. Uh, his works are actually referring to his wrath. And you know, when you look up the definition of wrath, uh, the, the, the definition is extreme anger. It's vengeance. Now, you and I, we typically wouldn't consider uh, a great and marvelous work to be something of vengeance and wrath and anger and holy hatred. We wouldn't typically look at that and say, wow, that's a great and marvelous work. But God does. And the people of God in heaven, they, they do. And uh, what, what's interesting about this is is we have a hard time with this side of God. And I believe that's why we don't have the fear of God like we should. And, and when I look at the definition of wrath, and then I actually go through the scriptures and see God's wrath, the definition is actually kind of weak. When you, when, you, when you look at what God is doing in His wrath, it's like, whoa, that is, that is pretty extreme. And I want to tell you, we do have an extreme God. And uh, God is a balanced God. And, and in order to understand His wrath, we have to understand that His capacity to love, which is absolutely amazing, isn't it? It's mind-blowing. It's, be it's because of God's love that I'm standing here today. It's, it's an unconditional love. It was demonstrated on Calvary with, with God actually pouring His wrath out on His only begotten Son so we wouldn't have to face that wrath. I don't understand that love, but I believe in that love. I've accepted that love, and it is an amazing love. But that capacity to love swings over and holds the capacity of wrath and hatred. And I know where, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, but you have to understand God's capacity to love, you swing over here and you better watch out. Let me explain it this way. Anything that gets in the way of what you love, you have the capacity to hate. Many of you, you have children, and, and if you just imagine someone breaking in your home and harming your children and doing something evil to your children, can I tell you what's going to happen? Mama Bear is going to come out, and Papa Bear is going to come out, and someone's going to get hurt, amen? And it's not going to be Mama, and it's not going to be Daddy. And what we're going to read about here is God's children are being hurt. God's children are being persecuted. And I want to tell you, God is upset over that. And just as He has the ability to love, He has the ability to pour out His anger and His wrath 
and his vengeance. I'll tell you what would be weird is if someone proclaimed to love and when that love was threatened, they, did, they didn't do anything about it. That would be weird. That would be perverted. That wouldn't be right. And for God to forever hold back on His justice and His judgment, He's never going to do that because He's holy and He's righteous. So God has a horrific hatred towards sin and wickedness. Jesus put it this way, speaking about children. He said, uh, these, these, these children that believe in me, you better not offend them. It's better if, if someone were to offend one of these children for a millstone to be hung around their neck and cast into the sea and drown. Proverbs chapter 6 says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. They're detestable. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Psalm 5, 5 says, Thou hatest all the workers of iniquity. Psalm 11, 5, But the wicked and him that loveth violence, violence his soul hateth. Do you understand what we just read? It says that God hates sinners. God hates sin. And yes, I know we say and we hear and we believe God, God loves the sinner, and he but, but he hates the sin, but that, that's partially true. The bad news is this. If a sinner that is tainted with sin doesn't come to God and, and have his sins removed, he's under the wrath of God. John chapter 3, Jesus taught that. If you're not a believer, you have the wrath of God abiding on you, and God hates your sin so much, he must judge you. But the good news is, if you come to Christ in repentance and faith and trust Christ, you're removed. The wrath of God is removed because you accept the payment, Jesus Christ. And what can wash away our sin? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we sang a lot about that this morning. Praise the Lord. So mercy refused brings God's judgment. But God's judgment accepted brings God's mercy. Aren't you happy about that? I think that's a really good definition of repentance. Repentance is just a change of mind that, that changes your heart and your spirit and your, your direction uh, from sin to God. It's a mindset. It's saying, God, I deserve your wrath. I deserve your judgment, but I'm crying out for mercy. And the good news is it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some say, well, well, my Jesus is nothing but peace and love. And he is peace and love, but he's more than that. Look over to 2 Thessalonians, back to the left. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, I want you to notice verses 6 through 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter, um, chapter 1, verse, verse 6. Now, this is talking about Jesus seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And that's what we're going to read about. We're going to read about God's saints in the tribulation that were being troubled. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished 
with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. That's pretty clear, isn't it? God, Jesus, man, He came as a lamb and He demonstrated His love. And 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love, yes, but God is also a God of vengeance. Look over at Revelation chapter 6. And, and we know, uh, Revelation chapter 6, the, the tribulation is starting. And God pours out His wrath in the form of, uh, we've learned about the seals and trumpets. But look who starts out this wrath. Revelation chapter 6, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. The Lamb opened one of the seals. Look at chapter 6, verse 16. And, and, and they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him. That's... That's precious Jesus that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come. Who shall be able to stand? Yes, Jesus is peace. But there's more to Him than just peace. In Revelation chapter 15, we have the preparation of the final form of judgments and wraths in, in, in the vials. The vials are, are poured out. And in Revelation chapter 16, we're not going to go through this. Lord willing, pastor, will we'll, we'll, we'll take us through this. But we see in verse 2 that those that have taken the mark of the beast will receive ter a terrible sore on their body. And then the, the vials continue to come. The waters will, will be turned to blood. The sun will scorch people. There's going to be darkness and huge hailstones falling from the sky. And the Bible says, this is great. And this is marvelous. This is the work of God. And the work of God is the wrath of God. Now, why would the Lamb of God do this? Well, consider this. His wrath is because of His vengeance. Quickly now, let's look at some scripture. Let's look at who, who the vengeance is, is taken out on. Uh, Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. It's taken out on the followers of God. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. And, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood? on them that dwell on the earth. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren should, should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. Notice in chapter 11, verse 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Look at chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. They actually believed something. They had conviction in their heart enough to die for what they believed in. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a belief in your heart that you're willing to die for? Revelation chapter 13, verse 15, and he, he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, 
and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded. Why? For the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. Do you realize in the tribulation time period, and it's my personal belief that I, I believe the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, is going to change in a sense. It's going to sort of be withdrawn in, in a sense, and, and it's not going to restrain what the devil wants to do. And it is going to be not only evil on this earth, it's going to be the, the, the God is going to give the, the Antichrist, the, the devil, full, full reigns to just bring a satanic spirit like we've never seen before. And there's going to be a lot of heads cut off. There's going to be a lot of death for those that don't take the, the mark of the beast. And uh, sometimes you read through stuff like this and you think, so it's going to get really bad. And then all of a sudden, God's just going to snap. You know, our God is very slow to anger. When you look at church history, not only will you get under conviction about I'm talking like the real church history. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about the saints of God that, that took a stand for the word of God, even unto death. When you, when you consider church history, you think about the apostles. And the Lord has seen all this. He's witnessed all this. They were all martyrs. You think about the early Christians in Rome. You think about Nero taking these Christians and and and, and dipping them in pitch and putting them on poles and lighting them on fire to light up his gardens at night. You think about the, the 500 miles of catacombs under, under Rome where the Christians were buried and where they had their church services. You think, you think about the, the, the Donatists in 325 that took a stand against, against a state dead religion and they were persecuted. The Waldenses in Italy they wouldn't baptize their children because we don't find that in the Bible. And they, they actually believed that and they took a stand on that and they were slaughtered. You think about the Paulicians in the 600s hunted down and tortured some 30,000 at a time, 15,000 at a time. And we can read about this, all of them crying out to God saying, God, we want to we wanna live for you. We want to stand on truth even unto death. Our God has witnessed all of that. We think about the the inquisitions and the persecution that came from, from the Roman church and the torture cha chambers and all the torture uh, techniques and tactics that were invented to get Christians to recant their faith. And they said, no, I, I believe this in my heart and I'm, I'm willing to die for my Savior and stand for truth. And you have the Iron Maiden and you have... You have people stretched in their joints coming out of place and their children tortured, uh, tortured in front of parents. God has seen all of this. None of it goes unnoticed. And I want to tell you, God's anger and his wrath has been building and building and building and building. And finally, when we get to the, the place of Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation, God says, I have had enough. In his wrath, the Bible says, it's great and it's marvelous and it's wonderful because he's taking vengeance on evil and sin and sinners. For this reason, church, considering that our God, our Savior is, is a God of wrath and he's going to pour this out on the world, that ought to strike some fear in you. 
and to consider it one time. And I just read this this morning in, uh, in the book of uh, Romans, chapter 5, verse 10. At one time, we were the enemies of Christ. And we were under that wrath. But oh, the day came when we heard the gospel and we believed and we, we moved into the family of God and we're no longer under the wrath of God. And I'm so happy about that, aren't you? Don't forget about the wrath. He is holy, yes. He is love, yes. But he's also a God of wrath. And boy, I'll tell you, sometimes that ought to strike a trepidation in our heart and our spirit and our reverence towards fearing him. Number two, I want you to notice not only, not only are his works great and marvelous and full of wrath, but he is, I want you to notice his holiness, which is only him. Look at verse 4, Revelation chapter 15, verse 4. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For, for thou only art holy. For thou only art holy. You know what this is? This is a distinction. This sets God apart from every other God, every other person, every other being. God and only God is holy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14, it says, He is the only potentate. He's the only one. So I, 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 I'm amazed that, that, that men will actually take titles that only belong to Jesus Christ and apply them to themselves. And, and I just come to the conclusion, you're either one, crazy to do that. Number two, you're the antichrist. Or number three, you're just not a believer in the Lord. And so only he is holy. He is the only potentate. And I've noticed that around the throne of God, it seems like there's a theme, and it's the holiness of God. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. This is the throne of God. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within, and, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, you know, Isaiah got a, a, a glimpse of, of the throne of God. And in, in one of them, the creatures there cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. There are a few things about the holiness of God that we, we really need to understand if we're going to fear Him. God's holiness separates Him from, from everyone else. It, he, it makes Him distinctly different. I, I lived in a country at one time where Hinduism was the prominent religion. Millions and millions of gods. And so many of these false gods and idols that they worshipped, they, they had an they had an evil, mischievous side to them. They, they were not holy. And I want to tell you, God, the God of the Bible, the true and living God, is a holy God. And, and he actually said, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me, and there is no God like our God, because only our God is holy. Number two, God's holiness makes us aware of our own sinfulness, doesn't it? Have you, ever, have you ever been in the presence of God? It may be a, a prayer meeting or a church service or, or whatever, and, and it just seems like, whoa, when the presence of God comes in, you sense that. 
And I've been, in, I've been in services where the presence of God came in. And yeah, you can shout hallelujah. You can run the aisles and, and, and you, can, you can have the liberty to really express yourself and praise the Lord. But oh, there are times when the presence of God moves in and I've just been frozen. And I want to fall on my face, and, but I can't even move. Can I tell you what that is? That's God's holiness. It's His holiness. I mean, we, we read about the throne of God and the holiness of God, and it's like, it's like the, even the structures in heaven are going to come unglued. Smoke and earthquakes and loud noises. That's the holiness of God. And it is the holiness of God that we need to grasp this morning if we're going to fear Him and honor Him like we should. Oh, Isaiah got a glimpse of that and he said, Woe is me, I'm undone. Not, not only do we want to fall on our faces, but we realize the closer we get to God and His holiness, we see ourselves a little bit more clear. And we see that we truly are undone and, and <laughs> we're dirty. Have you ever heard that? Man, the closer I, I get to God and the more I learn about God, the less I think of myself. Amen. Amen. Not only does God's holiness separate him and makes us aware of our own sinfulness, but God's holiness commands us to be holy. When you get in the presence of God and you sense the holiness of God, it rubs off on us naturally. And that's what God desires. Remember Moses, when he was in the presence of God, what happened to him? It rubbed, excuse me, it, it rubbed off on him. And that's God's plan. God wants his holiness to rub off on us, but not to the point where we become so high and holy that we can't reach people and that we can't love sinners and go out to eat with sinners and share the gospel with sinners. Just remember that. God was, was so holy, but, but he was so much loved that he could come to this earth and actually pay the penalty for our sins. God's holiness. We see that because of, of, of the Lord and his holiness, verse 3, he is, he is just and true are thy ways. And then in verses 5 through 8 of Revelation chapter 15, we saw this, this, uh, the, this temple again. And in the temple, there's... There's the, the testimony in heaven. It was opened, and we get a little glimpse of the very presence of God here. And, and we read that, that it was filled with the smoke of the glory of God. We're going to be able to see that someday. We're going to be able to feel this someday. God in all His glory. Back in, uh, back in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 19, on Mount Sinai, the Bible said that uh, that. that uh, God came down and, and altogether in a smoke because the Lord descended on it in a fire. Remember the tabernacle when it was dedicated and finished in the temple, Solomon's temple. God just filled that place up with smoke and his glory and you couldn't even walk. You couldn't even move. Man, I can't wait to experience something like that. Don't forget about the holiness of God it will cause us to fear Him and fall on our faces in amazement. Not only do we see God's works and His holiness, but we see His rule. We see His rule that He is King of saints, verse 3, 
And notice in verse 4, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. Listen, here's his rule worldwide. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. All nations are going to come and worship the Lord. His rule someday is going to be worldwide. Look back at the book of Zechariah, if you will. Zechariah chapter 14. This, this is something that will cause you to fear God. Zechariah chapter 14. Now, when Jesus comes back, it's called the day of the Lord. We know the next thing to take place is the rapture of the body of Christ. It could happen today, in, the, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And uh, there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. At the end of that tribulation, a battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And the Lord is pouring His wrath out. And then He comes back and sets up a thousand-year reign kingdom worldwide. Notice Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. That's the Battle of Armageddon. And uh, the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. And when he fought in the, as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Remember when he ascended up into heaven? The angel said, oh, he's coming back in like manner. That was from the Mount of Olives. He's coming back. And he's coming back to set up his kingdom worldwide. Look at verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Look at verse 12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Look at this. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, in their eye sockets, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Yeah, God is love. Jesus is, is peace. He sure is. But when He comes back, those that have been fighting against His people, those that have been blaspheming God and, and cutting off the heads of His, of his believers... Those people, when Jesus comes back, He's not coming back as a lamb, He's coming back as a lion, and their flesh is just going to melt off their skeleton. You say, that, that's Jesus? Yeah, that's Jesus. That's the real Jesus. Notice, notice in verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Listen, He's going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to set everything straight. It's going to be a marvelous time. Yes, there's going to be wrath and vengeance, but it's going to be wonderful because our King is finally going to bring in world peace. His kingdom worldwide perfect vengeance, perfect peace, perfect holiness. This ought to cause us to fear the Lord. And now I want to get to the fourth, and I think this is my favorite point this morning. His followers. Notice in verse 2, 
Revelation chapter 15, verse 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of the saints." The followers of God. Now, now remember, these are the ones that were starved to death because they didn't take the mark of the, the beast. These are the ones that had their heads cut off. These are the ones that were, they, they, they were a mockery on this earth. These are the ones that took a stand on this earth and the, the beast overcame them. And here's what's ironic about it. And I get under conviction as we, as we look at the followers of God under, under all this pressure and fear and and, and I get motivated by this, but, but you know, they're victorious in heaven. On earth, they look like a failure. They look like losers. They, they were a mockery, but in heaven, they're standing victorious, full of praise. You know what that teaches us this morning? That we need to look at this earth and our life here on this earth through the lens of heaven. And, and, and what heaven counts as success, that's what we ought to count as, a, as success. Here they are, the followers of God. Can I tell you what we're running out of today? I believe spiritual grit and backbone. Yesterday morning, we looked at the book of Job for the men's breakfast. And we were talking about everything that, that Job went through. He was a righteous man. And uh, there was a challenge in heaven. And, and God allowed the devil specifically to attack Job. And after everything Job went through, God finally shows up. You know, Job, Job lost everything. And, and, and God says this to Job, gird up your loins like a man. Gird up your loins like a man. He didn't baby him. He didn't coddle him. He didn't say, oh, I know you got it so hard. He said, gird up your loins like a man. Can I tell you what the church needs to do today? You know what we need to do. Job actually was a type of the tribulation saint. Job... His name actually means persecuted one. And in the tribulation, the Jews are going to be the persecuted one. Job was persecuted specifically by Satan. And in Revelation chapter 12, the tribulation saint is going to be specifically, directly attacked by Satan. There's 42 chapters in the book of Job. That's three and a half years. And in the great tribulation, there's going to be 42 months of attack. Job was patient with God and his wife and his friends. And in the tribulation, they're going to have to be patient. They're going to have to endure. Job didn't curse God. He worshiped God. And here in Revelation chapter 15, we've got the followers of God that have been persecuted. And now they're in heaven giving praises to God, victorious, no complaining. That's what we need today. We need to realize we're in a spiritual battle. We need to gird up our loins and stop complaining. We have wonderful opportunities around us. Well, the pastor, he didn't, he didn't shake my hand. Grow up. I, I've heard Christians say, it's so hard to be a Christian in America today. You know, we got it made in the shade. We really do. I hear, I hear born again, blood washed believers complain about, well, they took prayer out of school. Well, why don't you bring prayer back into school? 
And thank the Lord, you know, that's what we're doing here at Monclova Road Baptist Church. I've heard Christians say, well, the media is just so wicked and ungodly. Well, why don't you use the media for the gospel, to get the gospel out? I've heard born-again believers complain about the sexual perversion. And yes, it is perversion, and it is sinful. But why don't you win them to Christ? Why don't you stop complaining and take them out to lunch and share the love of Christ and, and how to be saved with, with all the, those that have fallen prey to that? We're acting like victims today. Oh, all the illegals that are coming to our country. All these, the millions of people from other countries illegally coming here to America. We need to do something about it. Can I tell you what we need to do? We need to stop and consider Maybe, just maybe, God is saying, you know what? I've used uh, America and I've sent out missionaries and, and I'm thankful for that. But there's still billions of people that need to be reached. And it sort of seems to me, maybe God's saying this, I don't know, that we've lost our, our grit and our backbone and our endurance and our fortitude and our passion for souls. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to bring the mission field to America. Have you ever considered that? that maybe we ought to stop complaining and, 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 and just consider we've got the mission field coming to us. What an opportunity. We're not victims. We're victors. We should be full of praise in every condition, in every circumstance. The opportunities are at our fingertips. These tribulation saints, they were standing victoriously considering after what they had to go through. They're not asking, oh, why God? Oh, we had it so hard. They're giving praises to God. Can I tell you why? Oh, they got a, they got a hold of the wrath of God. They got a hold of the holiness of God. They, they, got a, they got a hold of the idea that we need to fear God and live for God, even unto death. Do you have a conviction in your heart that you're worth, that, that you would say this is worth dying for? Sometimes we don't fear God because we fear man too much. And these saints here, they didn't fear man. They feared God. And I think that's what we need to do here. They got victory here over the beast, which was the political pressure, over the image, which was the religious pressure, over the mark, which was over, over social pressure, over the number of his name, which was the economic pressure. They got victory over that because they feared God. And they knew that, that our God is going to reign. And they, they're singing the song of Moses. Exodus chapter 15, remember that? They were in bondage in Egypt. And they were delivered through the blood of the Lamb. And they got to the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his armies were coming. And they're thinking, what are we going to do? I'll tell you what they saw. Salvation is of the Lord. And they crossed that sea and Pharaoh's army was drowned in the sea. And they sing that victorious song. But not only that, they're singing, they're singing the song of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. They weren't victims. They were victorious and they're praising God and they're singing these praises to God. Amazing here, now they're singing the, the song of the Lamb. Oh, I, 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 see, I see the law of Moses and I see the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I want to tell you, you fully can't appreciate the gospel unless you understand the law. And that, that law condemns us and shows us our need for grace. It's all coming together now. They're realizing, listen, we missed the Messiah, but we got him now. And he's full of power and he's full of wrath and he's going to rule the whole world. And I'm telling you what, I want to be on his side. 
We look at, we look at how they're worshiping in the midst of all this wrath. How could they do that? They were on the right side. They were on the right side. That's how they could do this. Are you on the right side this morning? I'm going to read this verse to you out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14. It says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken away from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before Him. Can I tell you in the book of Revelation, it's got a lot of good news. And in the book of Revelation, it says you can't add anything to it. You can't take anything away from it. It's set. It's set. It's going to happen. Back, back uh, when I was a teenager, I uh, loved the Detroit Pistons, the bad boys. Amen? They were pretty bad. But I loved watching them. They were my team. I, uh, I didn't read the newspaper much, but I, I opened the paper to find out when they were playing, what time. And I, I saw all the games. I followed them. And uh, Isaiah Thomas, he's my boy. He's just the, nothing like him. Michael Jordan, you're okay, but, but I'm just saying. And sometimes I couldn't watch the game. So what we would do, we had what were called VCRs back then. It was like this big box. And then you stuck another thing about the size of a book into that box, and you could record things that you couldn't see on TV. And I could... I couldn't see all the games, but I would have it recorded, and I wouldn't want to know anything about who won. I would want to come home and watch the game and, and sort of be surprised. But I noticed a trend. When, when I couldn't watch the game and I had it recorded, if I, if I saw the news or one of my friends would tell me, oh, they won, it kind of didn't ruin it for me. I was happy they won, but I noticed that I watched the game differently. I'd, I'd, I'd put in the, 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 uh, the tape, and I'd watch the game, and knowing that they won, my emotions weren't what they were if it was watching when it was live. I mean, when, when they lost the ball, I didn't, I didn't throw anything, I didn't get upset, because I, I, knew, I knew they were going to win. And uh, I, was, I was stable. I could focus on the game. I could actually pick up things that I normally wouldn't pick up on because I was so worried before, you know, what's going to happen? And I, my, my whole demeanor was different. I mean, it could be 10 seconds. Pistons would be down by three points and the other team has the ball. No worries. They throw the ball in. Isaiah steals the ball, takes it up for a layup. He couldn't dunk, but he'd do a layup. Now they're down by one, five seconds. The other team has the ball. I'm sitting back, relaxed, just enjoying every second of it because, because I knew who was going to win. They, the other team throws the ball in, and Bill Lambeer takes the ball, dunks it at the buzzer, and I, I, I was just able to enjoy every second of it. No anger, no frustration, just pure praise and enjoyment. Can I tell you, church, we got the news. We win. I, I, read all about it right here. This is the good news. This is not fake news. This is faith news. And it's good news. It's set. No one's going to change it. It's set. So, church, here's the message this morning. We might as well get a hold of who God is, that He is a God of wrath, that He is holy, 
and He is right, and every, everything He does is, is right, and He is going to rule whether the devil likes it or not, whether the unsaved world likes it or not, he is going to rule and it's all going to work out just fine. I'm glad I'm on a, not on the side of wrath. I'm, I'm glad I'm a child of God. And we can sing uh, the, the, the song of the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And just not let the pressures of the world, church pressure, family pressure, social, social pressure, political pressure, whatever it might be, we can just sit back and relax and praise God. That's the message. Now, now, how do we do that? We have to fear Him. You just finished listening to a message from the preaching ministry at Monclova Road Baptist Church. If it was a help to you, make sure that you let somebody know about it. If you need help beyond this message, make sure that you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or check out our website, monclovabaptist.org. And we would love to connect with you there and help you with anything that you might need. Have a great week and we'll see you next time on the Monclova Baptist Church Podcast.